Welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. My name is Mitch Michaels. Thank you, as always, for joining me on the sports podcast, where we have quite a bit to break down in the final show of 2023. Jose Youngs from MMA Fighting returns to the program. He was on site, as he always is, at UFC 296. He breaks down Leon Edwards' title win over Colby Covington, what to make of some big fights that took place on that card, and previewing some big events coming up in 2024. Strickland and Duplessis started in the crowd and they've got the first pay-per-view of the year. A lot to break down in the world of MMA and pro wrestling and boxing with Jose Youngs. And then Kent Brown returns to the show to talk NFL. We've only got a few weeks of the regular season left. The dominant 49ers, some bad weeks for Philly and Dallas. The Bills making a move. The Ravens and Dolphins looking for the top speed in the AFC. There's a lot to break down with Kent Brown in the world of football. Also some college football playoff predictions as well. First up, it's Jose Youngs, and it's Kent Brown on the Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. Are right, now joining me on the Money Mitch Effect, back again, the hardest working man in the mixed martial arts community. Uh, was just on coverage for UFC 296, the final fight card in the UFC of the calendar year 2023. Jose Youngs, welcome back to the show, Jose. And yeah, we're not going to do the time zone segment that we thought trying to figure this time out. So thanks for coming back. <laughs> yeah, anytime, boss. It's been a while. I can't even remember before uh, before you, I called in. I was trying to remember the last time we it's actually been... chatted. So it's always good to. Yeah, yeah, it's been too long. I'm going to get to the other sports and other things we like to discuss too, but we have to talk fight game. I know it's been a whirlwind and you know the way that I wanted to do this now was look at 296, but then also some of these divisions and you know where the belt is, the exciting fights in 2024. But you were on the card for you were on the, you know, on the ground to 296. It was the final fight card of the year and you know went out with a bang two title fights. There was you know, an, an aura in the air, and that's for a lot of different reasons. But, you know, that fight card, I thought, from top to bottom, and really with the prelims, you started to see, I thought, Jose, how they're stacking some of these cards. I think leading into 2024, you're starting to see, at least from my perspective on the outside a little bit, that even the prelims are getting more and more high-level fights than I've ever seen before. I think, yeah, and I do agree with you that, especially this most recent one, they were stacked uh, the main car, the prelims were obviously w- infinitely more exciting than the main card yeah. uh, in terms of fights excitement. Mm-hmm. Like obviously the the storyline was there for the main event, but and like, honestly the whole main card. But I think it, it's something to do with the, these exciting fights. It's like UFC two ninety what two ninety three didn't have the most stacked card. Like yeah, the main event between Israel Adesanya and Sean Strickland was incredibly exciting, but leading into that, no one like people probably don't even remember the co-main event. Uh, same thing for UFC 289. Like people probably don't even remember the co-main event. It was just the Amanda Nunes show. So I feel like UFC 296 and 295 to an extent was kind of this culmination of they had a couple fight cards that you know they couldn't stack them as well because of injuries, because of visas, yeah. because of location sickness or whatever and i feel like they just booked them all on these mm-hmm. last few cards uh it might hurt, come back to bite them because they need some they need some headliners <laughs> yeah. early next year but it is what it is people want to fight in vegas too i think that is a part of it maybe not the biggest part but you oh, can sure. get more you know, more likely to sign up and you know draft when there is a big storyline at the top i guess we can start there jose because i was uh you know we know that there's always a lot of hoopla when colby covington fights and where leon edwards fits into that now as a champion who's defended his belt twice but 
I'll just ask you point blank, how shocked were you with the performance, the lackluster one of Colby Covington? And is it, and I guess I can ask that in a loaded way, is it more in your mind the fact that he kind of didn't have it, was jittery, and you know maybe got caught up in the hoopla that he created? Or was it, as Dana White brought out and other people, the layoff that maybe got to a middle 30-year-old fighter? I think it was a little combination of everything. I mean, you, any like activity is, is always better. That's why tune-up fights exist, mm-hmm. uh, just to get your rhythm back. Uh, and that's that just makes certain performances even that much more impressive, like Dominic Cruz missing all that time, coming back and reclaiming the title. Tyson Fury coming back. And I know he got a tune-up fighter too, but those were bad fighters that he fought. He basically just jumped right in against Deontay Wilder and, and fought him to a draw. So when you get – it's even John Jones took like, what, 2020 <laughs> to 2020. <laughs> Yeah. Came back and submitted Cyril Gaon in like two minutes, maybe. So when you get performances like that, it obviously makes them stand out. But those people I just mentioned are some greatest fighters of all time. And when you're 35 and you're and you're Colby Covington, who's not the athletic freak that I think a lot of these people that I said are like, he's not the biggest, he's not the fastest, he's not the strongest, he's not naturally gifted. He is an incredibly hard worker. Now I don't, I do not care for anything he said during the fight weekend. Uh, I'm not super high on his character at all yet sells fights his opponents mm-hmm. always get paid more i personally don't like it i don't think it belongs in the sport politics aside but he is a good fighter uh and when you take that much time off and you go up against a guy like leon edwards who's in his physical prime who has been very active like there was his third fight since i think august 2022 so yeah. Uh, he's and it's he's those are five round fights he's been training he fought kamar uzman i know he knocked out kamar uzman in the first fight but over technically their second fight, but that went into the fifth round. So he basically fought 10 rounds in the last two against the best fighter on the planet right there. Mm-hmm. And he comes back and it's Colby Covington who lost to Kamar Usman twice. He's essentially just a worse version of Kamar Usman. So I'm not surprised that Leon won. I'm very surprised at just how blasé Colby yeah. Covington was in there. And even he said... You know, Leon Edwards switched stances a few times and threw me off. And I'm like, well, shouldn't you have prepared for that? Like, <laughs> but, like, I'm yeah. not a coach. I'm not yeah. a fighter, so I can't tell fighters how to prepare or prep or whatever. I was a little, I was surprised at right. how it wasn't even dominant by no. Leon. It was just he did what he had to yeah. do impressively. He, he nullified Colby what he did, but it was just Colby was just so bland. Was, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a fair way to put it. And I also remember just thinking before the main event started, Jose, that, you know, given his age and even before we saw what we did, it felt like it had to be now, you know, because the, the title shots are going to dry up, we know, and it's also at his age with how the roster continues to get deeper and younger fighters, especially in that welterweight division, are coming up. So it remains to be seen what happens with Colby, but for Leon, and they talked about it on the broadcast, Jose, the championship bump, and I'm with you that he did what he had to do. He's had better performances, but there is something to say about how he is a more confident, polished fighter and I think having you know having all the success, the win streak he's on has something to do with it. But what do you see from the development side of Leon, not just this year, but in the midst of this winning streak over the last couple of years? He's a guy that has just gotten better pretty exponentially. The jump between the second Kamaru Usman fight and the third one, so the mm-hmm. second one is when he knocked him out and the mm-hmm. third one is when he beat him by decision, was so massive. And I don't know if that's because we've, been underrating Leon Edwards so much. I know Leon, it took, he was pretty inactive for a while due to COVID and uh, his opponents catching COVID and eye pokes and this and that. Not anything that was his fault, but the massive jump in just pure skill and that we saw in those two fights is pretty, pretty alarming, just how good he got. And 
beating because he like yeah he did knock out Kamaru Usman in one of the greatest if not the greatest knockouts you'll ever see but he was about two minutes away maybe even a minute away from losing that mm-hmm. fight on the scorecards before he got that Hail Mary kick and then there's even an argument that 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 third fight they had was either a draw or, or to Kamaru Usman but it wasn't anything dominant it was just Leon Edwards just was an awesome fighter and what we saw against was not and even Leon Leon himself said it at the post fight press conference when we asked him Everyone keeps saying he's this super high-level striker, which he is, but Leon says, I'm a high-level mixed martial arts fighter. And Colby if, is very obviously the better grappler. He's the, all, you know, he's the all-American wrestler. He's won all these grappling tournaments. He's the first one to take Kamar Usman down. And not only did he struggle to take Leon down, Leon took him down, yeah. reverse, reverse positions, got him in chokes, did all that stuff. So uh, it's, it was incredibly impressive uh, by mm-hmm. Leon, not just that he dominated on the feet but also dominated on the ground well more on this division in a second uh to follow up with our ufc 296 discussion jose uh did you see the strickland duplessis incident live i was not in the arena i was okay. in the back uh doing interviews but obviously <laughs> i got wind of the i mean I, I just have to say before we break all this down and i didn't even know that there, this was a scorching hot rivalry um, and I know that Dana and a bunch of other people have talked about how, you know, seating them close together wasn't the best idea. But just the idea that Strickland, who we all know is a, is a known psycho uh, in a good slash bad way, but the idea that he's telling the Burns family, like, hey, sport, you mind yeah. just moving over a little to your left before he jumps over two rows? I mean, it would only be that guy. And it only, it, it was probably the best, it was probably the most viral moment of the night, I would say. I mean... Yes, because anytime you get the champion of a division fighting their number one contender in civilian clothes, people are going to talk about it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I heard rumors that like either there was a cut or someone hurt their hand or something. I sure hope that's not true because they have to fight in a month. Uh, Dana White, he blew it, as he said. He's the one that sat mm-hmm. them uh, near each other because he's the one that controls all of the seating arrangements in the UFC. But yeah, uh, this will obviously sell the fight. It was a fight that didn't have a lot of heat to begin with. Uh, it just seems like you know Israel wasn't was still hurt, kind of beat up. Yeah. Uh, they want to do the Strickland rematch, obviously, but like honestly, whoever wins this has a big fight with Israel coming yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and Duplessis, is just a, a, a abnormally large 185. Every time I see him, I think that. Um, and it was correct me if I'm wrong. That was Burns' son who was in the octagon again, like celebrating uh, the Pantoja fight. Did yeah, right they're now? about as that that fam- yeah. those two families yeah. are super close on that floor. Well, that that's a heck of a night for that kid, and and for Pantoja in that fight, you know, you know, beating Royval again the second time they fought in a couple years. That was one of those fights, Jose, where I thought again, props to the champion for doing it in a five round decision. But you see the levels of this sport at the highest mm-hmm. of the high, where and and Royval's a great fighter, one of the best for sure in the world, but. You know, the takedown defense was lacking, and if you have a weakness in any sport, let alone high-level mixed martial arts, they'll explode it. And it was a pretty stark, you know, example of the fact that there's levels that exist in this game. Yeah, Pent- I wouldn't even say Pantoja is the best flyweight in the world. I think they all did perfectly. He's Pantoja has beaten guys better than him. He's just... His ability to take damage is almost second to none. And it, it just reminds me of what Eddie was what Mike Perry said after he he had that bare knuckle boxing fight against Eddie Alvarez. Uh, or yeah, Eddie Alvarez said against about Mike Perry is that Mike Perry is not that good, but he is the most durable person you'll ever you'll ever fight. And <laughs> you could be dominating yeah. the entire fight and then you just can't put him away and then you get clipped once and you get exhausted and he takes yeah. over. 
that's basically what Pantoja is uh, to this division. He, I don't think he's better than some of the guys he's beat. He's just his ability yeah. to fight pain is pretty remarkable. And uh, that fight, I, like, yeah, it was fifty. I had a fifty forty five Pantoja, but those are close fifty forty five mm-hmm. rounds. Yeah, uh, Roy Vault's obviously getting the better of him on the feet at the end because it just seems like Pantoja was exhausted or hurt, mm-hmm. uh, and you know he just had to rely on his wrestling. It was. I don't think like he apologized at the end for a boring fight. That's not fair to himself. <laughs> no. That fight wasn't that bad. No, I just want to take a little time out before we get to the rest of this card. You brought it up, and and I do want to ask you about your other thing, but I, the other sport that you kind of caught this weekend. But I do mm-hmm. think bare knuckle boxing fighting is where I draw the line personally. I just <laughs> that's it's kind of where I'm like. It's, where I'm I get at. it. It's hard to watch. Uh, it is. Inc- it's way more violent. It's way more. <laughs> bloody the hands get all beat up mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. for fighters to get their paycheck i don't particularly like the production value of mm-hmm. bkfc I don't like that roving camera at all yeah i don't like the white balancing or whatever but it's a marketing thing i don't dislike it it's i cover it when i have to it's yeah. better than a lot of other sports that are out there <laughs> okay um fair I yeah really like, i do really like uh jorge Masvidal's, um Bare knuckle MMA. I think yeah. that's a lot of fun. Yeah, that that look again. Make all the money you want as athletes. Play what you want. If there's a market for it, sure. That's just where I kind of draw the line personally. Just my personal sure. opinion. But I did want to ask about something that looks more exciting. That full contact karate oh, that you caught. Well, what, what was that? I mean, I'm new to it, so I just saw clips. I don't know anything more about it. But some big names in there too. Yeah. So it's karate combat. Uh, this was their first. Prom- their, I, I'm blanking on his name right now, but uh, it was a. It was. It was essentially going to be the you know full karate, full contact karate in a pit. Really a kumite style thing. You know, oh, man. The karate Blood pants. Sport. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, you wear the karate pants. Um, there's there's like rules that if you knock someone down, you can strike them like we ground and pound. But you have to be standing. You can't ground yourself, so you can't mount them, if mm. that makes sense. You can't yeah. scramble. You have to stand over them and punch them. And it ha- it's you can only do that for five seconds. So when you stand over someone when you're punching them, a big voice just down for five, then you have to separate. Uh, so it is interesting. Uh, there's not, I don't think there's elbows allowed, but you can okay. knee and everything. This is – I'm blanking on his name right now, but this, is, this was the new – this was a new president. I uh, just took over, and this was his first card, mm. the rematch of Benson Henderson uh, and Anthony Pettis for the third one, but the first one, obviously, in Karate Combat. Sam Alvey won the uh, heavyweight title, and then there was, like, Chinzo Machida, who's Leona Machida's uh, brother. There was Omar Morales, former UFC fighter. There was a lot of former May fighters that were doing this, and uh, I spoke to the president after an interview, and he said he's talking to some big names, like Jose yeah. Aldo, Oof. Luke Rockhold, Tyron Spong, Darren Till, so... Uh, expect and and I'm I'm even if people don't like it, it's not I'm not a big fan of the production of it because the if you watched any of it, it dragged so much. There <laughs> okay. were sometimes twenty to twenty five minutes between fights, which you just can't have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but if they can tighten that up, just another option for <laughs> fighters to go make money, which is always the most important thing. All right, we like to hear that. Uh, Jose Young's here from MMA Fighting on the Money Mitch Effect. Uh, rest at 296. Uh, I wanted to also get your thoughts, too, on the Fer- on the Ferguson-Pimlet fight. Uh, for two perspectives, obviously, for this one. Patty came out and looked very uh, impressive, again, doing what he had to do against the aging fighter, Jose. But it did yeah. it did seem encouraging to see what his mindset was and his approach to this fight. Given what happened the last fight, which we all know, given all the outside noise and you know the hype train that had been 
building and building, it was good to see him, I don't want to say push the hard reset button, but just kind of get back on track. Yeah, and I think Patty himself said, you know, after his last fight against Jared Gordon, which was a year ago, uh, he really hurt his ankle in the fight and had to have double surgery on, uh, I think it was his right ankle. And anytime you have double surgery and you're just shelved for a long time, that's that's no fun for anybody. So he had to, you know, take this long, hard look at himself and sitting on the couch, not being able to train, watching other people train, watching Molly, watching the rise of Leon, watching the rise of Tom. It just felt like a reality check to him. Uh, and then he got married in May, which is something to look forward to. He got his diet down because he didn't want to be fat on his uh, his wedding day. So he got back in shape. Then now his wife is have, is pregnant with twins, so he has a lot. His his the Patty we saw on December twenty two is not the same person we saw this past weekend, both in and out of the octagon. So yeah, it was it was great to see him back and great to see him, you know, not be this <laughs> loudmouth dork that we saw last year <laughs> complaining about the Jared Gordon fight. Yeah, that was good. And for Tony, I. Yeah, it just feels like time, doesn't it? Like, I don't want to say when it's time, but like this was, especially when there was a level, right, that was so high, that's when I think it's even casuals, like on the outside, can understand it's probably time. Yeah, it's a bit of a bummer. Um, Tony is one of, I might put him, I might put in top five lightweights. Lightweight is just so incredibly stacked. At one point in time, I would say he was the second best lightweight ever, but you know, you, you can't lose seven in a row. And, mm hmm against competition like that uh, and still be considered a top five guy. I think even BJ Penn, well, BJ Penn stuff, because you got Habib, you got Poirier, you got Chandler, you got Benson, you got all these guys. So he might still be there, but I do think it's time to hang it up because now you're losing to guys that aren't even ranked. Yeah, they're young, but you just got to, if they're going to give him one more, I would give him someone like Jim Miller or someone, you know, a veteran like like himself. I wouldn't give him these young guys. Yeah. Well, rest of this card, I mean, we saw Rachmanov, another finish over Stephen Thompson, which obviously mm-hmm. is rarefied air. Uh, Emmett destroying Bryce Mitchell, which was uh, as violent as any finish that I've ever seen. Uh, Garbrandt on the undercard. There's a lot to digest from the rest of it, but what else stood out to you from 296? I mean, Rachmanov obviously winning, uh, becoming the first person to submit Stephen Thompson and keeping his... Uh, stoppage streak intact. I think it's at 16 or something like that. But he had that, he had like a severely hurt ankle or foot. So he had to completely rechange his game plan in there to make it much more grappling heavy, which is why the first round was so boring, kind of shoving him against the fence. Uh, so probably should be in line for a title shot soon. I think he should fight one more solely because I think Bilal Muhammad has mm-hmm. done more than enough to get his second shot at Leon Edwards. I think he has what, like 10 or 11. Yeah. Wins in a row or won 11 of 10. The only one that wasn't a win was that DQ. Not DQ, that no contest against Leon Edwards for the eye poke in the apex. That was like a minute into their fight. And he's beaten, I think he's beaten more people in the current UFC's top 10 at welterweight than any other current fight. You know, he's beaten, mm-hmm. he's already beaten Wonder Boy. He's beaten Vicente Luque. He's mm-hmm. beat, he beat Gilbert Burns on like 11 days notice. Yeah, He's done everything that has been asked of him. He deserves the next title shot. I don't think... He should have to take a number one contender fight. He definitely should not t- fight Shavkat. I think they have to do Leon versus Bilal too. Yeah. Hopefully in the UK, I think it's fair to Leon. I think it'd be fair to Bilal. Leon was in that position at one point. It's Bilal's turn. But I mean, in terms of just 296, the prelims were one of the better prelims you'll ever see. Like the, the, 
the return of Cody Garbrandt to the knockout column. Yep. Everyone knows me and Brian Kelleher are pretty close, but uh, I watched that fight unbiasedly. I picked Cody to win, and Cody knocked him unconscious. Andre Feely, me and him are also very close, watched that fight unbiasedly, and he got back to the win column in incredibly violent fashion. So, I, I mean, oh, and not to mention the Irene Aldana Carol Hosa fight is out of nowhere on the short list for best fights of the year. It's crazy, yeah. Part of the entire year. The last fight card of the entire year might have put on the best three-round fight of the year. So it was insane. The prelims, the prelims are one of the best prelims you'll ever see. The main card was great and obviously had more storyline, but if you're just looking for action, blow for blow, mm-hmm. it doesn't get much better than UFC 296's prelim card. Muhammad has to be the guy for Edwards, and I, and I like Leon. He seems like he's a pretty so. grounded guy, but he does that thing where he just says, I don't, I don't know if I should be fighting this or whatever, but... You know, I don't know that he's the best matchmaker, but the fight has to happen given the eye poke a couple years ago. And Mohamed has put the work in. So that's the one I want to see for that division. But Rachmanov is lurking, and uh, that's good to see. You know, and, and some of the other fights to kind of look forward to. I mean, it's 297, 298, 299, lining up some great title fights. We mentioned the middleweight one at 297. But seeing, seeing Volk come back to 298 is going to be interesting yeah. because he owns the featherweight division. But... He's coming back after a brutal knockout. So what's that going to look like? Is it too soon? I, I, I'll i never bet against him in that division, but there is a cliff in, in MMA, so I just want to see how he looks against a very viable opponent. Yeah, there's. I if he was fighting back at lightweight, I, it would be a different story, but I don't know anyone. Like, But the problem is if there's one person that's fighting right now in the featherweight division that has the perfect skill set to mm-hmm. beat Volkanovski, it is Ilya Taporia. So I am curious if this li- lining up for Ilya, it's, a, it's just the perfect storm to take out Volkanovski. Like, Volkanovski's coming off a bad knockout loss. Is it too soon? He's fighting a guy that's heavy-handed, good boxer, good grappler, good wrestler, good all-around. Uh, Ilya is not one of these long-rangey fighters that Volkanovski has had success with, like like Holloway, like Yair Rodriguez, like Brian Ortega. They, all these guys are longer than him. Vulcan, uh, Ilya Tepore is the sh- is can look at Volkanovski in the eye, hits hard. He basically the way he describes him is is he fights like if Michael Chandler had any sort of fight IQ. Like <laughs> Michael Chandler just goes in there and just clangs heads until someone falls down. That Ilya Tepore does that strategically. So I'm very I, this this if someone's gonna beat Ilya, I mean someone's gonna beat Volkanovski, it's Ilya Tepore in February 2024. But if Volkanovski beats Ilya Tepore. At UFC 280, 298, we have to start putting Volkanovski on the short list for greatest fighters of all time. And I think that would put to bed who the greatest featherweight ever is. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is, he's already, I mean, you could obviously make that argument right now, and it wouldn't be the worst thing. Yeah. But, yeah, he's still got still got a canvas to play with, and that's the best thing to say. Uh, in the getting into 299, I asked this question to a friend of mine who's also locked into MMA, and I'm just kind of wondering your perspective. If I gave you the over-under at one and a half, consecutive title defenses for Sean O'Malley, including this next one up. Would you take it? Can he do it two times? Over under do, one and a half fights? Will, no, will he defend his title the next two times? Because this division's so loaded, and I think Cheeto Vera is exceptional. So I don't know, man. I just think it's he, he deserved the belt. He's done enough, like He's a great fighter with his knockout power. This division's unprecedented. But I don't. this is a gauntlet, man, and I don't know if he's got this fight, let alone another one in him. So I think time. he can, I think he'll beat Cheeto at two ninety nine. Uh, I think he's, 
I think I don't think Cheetah won. I don't think it was lucky. I just think Sean O'Malley is so talented. And I think we saw the blueprint on how to beat Cheeto against Corey Sanhagen. Like, Corey Sanhagen messed him up. That was not a close fight by any means. I think Corey Sanhagen is, beats both of these gentlemen, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think, based on what we saw against Corey Sanhagen, I think Sean O'Malley is, is a similar style fighter to Corey Sanhagen, so I should win. It's who he fights next after that because if he fight if Marab Davalashvili beats Hudo, that's the one. I, I that's if he fight him, if he fights O'Malley, I'm not gonna pick him in that match. I'll just say that. But same. And if he fights Cejudo, I think he could beat Cejudo. Yes, that's a but fair point. But the problem point, is yeah. you got guys like Corey Sanhagen lurking out there. You got you know. I think the uncrowned champion and Umar Nurmagomedov out there. I I think he can. Def- I think he can defend it twice. I think it just depends on who that second defense is right. against. Because I don't. I see. I think he beats Cheeto. I don't. I think he could beat. I think he beats Cheeto, and I think he beats Cejudo. I don't know if he beats Marab. I'm not off balance thinking that this is maybe my most exciting division. Right, like. I just like the matches. Um, I mean, the conversation up, between yeah. what the best division is right now really yeah. comes down to bantamweight or lightweight. Yeah. Uh, bantamweight has been better than it is now. Mm-hmm. But if you take the top 25 fighters at lightweight, I think the lightweight is the most stacked. Mm-hmm. Because That's lightweight, fair. even I'm talking about not even just UFC, UFC, just all right. of MMA. Right. Like with the UFC, you got Islam Charles, Gaethje, Poirier, Gamrot, Benil, mm-hmm. Armin Sarukian, Bobby Green. Yeah. And then you. you like go over to like any of the other divisions and like in Bellator you got Usman Nurmagomedov you got Patricky Pitbull it's it's pretty impressive so those are the two best in my obviously but I always lean lightweight but I'm not going to argue if someone picks picks bantamweight well a lot of stuff to uh, be excited about do you have any idea and you could just be spitballing there's obviously nothing official but UFC 300 any super Mm. fight rumblings out there no, uh, for a long time, everyone obviously thought it was going to be Connor. Um, I just don't know if that's a, if that's even a possibility anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because we haven't really heard anything, you would assume mm-hmm. that if Connor was going to come back, they already it by now just to drum up interest. I think they're waiting because if Connor doesn't fight in April, I think he's going to fight the end of June at International Fight Week. But see, and then that's the thing: if Connor fights on 300, they're not going to put any other title fights because Connor doesn't like to have title fights on his pay per view. Because then that, and the UFC definitely doesn't want title fights on a Connor pay per view because all those champions get pay per view points, and Connor pay per views sell more, faster than any. His return from injury is going to be might break the. For the UFC, and if you put champions on that card, and you got to give all those people pay-per-view points, yeah, it doesn't that's like going to be tough. Yeah. Um, and if Connor doesn't fight, and especially like you don't want to put Connor above a title fight, yeah, that would be that's like, especially just showing that the 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 UFC's championship is not <laughs> as yeah. big as, a, as as an individual. So if you don't put Connor at three hundred, you're going to have to stack that up. I, I don't yeah. know what champions will be ready. Honestly, yeah. I think I would imagine that like. Garbrandt just won. He called out Figueroa. I bet that could fight could happen. Yeah. Figueroa, <laughs> Cody. I would like to see. Yeah. Misha Tate, Holly Holm, too, cool. on that card. I think that they would deserve that because, like, if you go go back and look at UFC 200, there were a lot of veteran fights with a lot of big title fights. You had the the Joe Lozons versus yeah. the Diego Sanchez's and the Jim Millers versus the Takanori Gomes. I was like, are we going to see Brock? Are we going to see Brock 100, 200, 300? <laughs> 
No, man, because if Jim Miller's Jim Miller's going to be on 300. <laughs> yeah. Dana White already said that. And he was also on 100 yeah. and 200. Wow. I would like to see Jim Miller fight someone like Paul Felder yeah. uh, or Tony Ferguson. I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, but yeah. I can't. It, it really just depends on who's in that main event. Because yeah. I would have assumed, I would have assumed that the winner of UFC 295 in MSG, the heavyweight champion, if uh, Steve Bay so had sad, John dude. Jones, it's so sad. Like I don't Stipe, even want to think about that right now. You know, if Stipe had beaten <laughs> John Jones, I bet the rematch would have been at 300. Yeah. And if John Jones would have won, I bet they would have tried to do like him versus Tom or something in the main event. But it really just depends on. I'm like, Israel's still hurt. I don't think he's going to be healthy. Volkanovski is fighting in February. February to March is too tough. Sean O'Malley's fighting in March. He's definitely going to need more time. Uh, I don't think you could headline. There's no female right now that's big enough to headline like Ronda mm-hmm. was or Amanda. Mm-hmm. You could do you could do Yan Zhaonan versus Wei Li for the the strawweight title. But if they want to go to China, having Yan Zhaonan fight Wei Li Zhang in the main event of a China of a uh, fight night in Shanghai or yeah. Beijing. It's a no-brainer. Lightweight, I, oh, it's Ramadan, so Islam can't headline it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's they're, they're running out of options. Um, but yeah. man, well, so I, I don't know. It'll be I don't a know. fascinating decision on the UFC's hands. Um, but I gotta ask you as we transition out and wrap this up, Jose, was there anything more exciting this year in your combat sports? Uh, you know, watching, viewing, covering than when Fury got dropped by Francis. I was pretty indifferent, honestly. Even um, when he got dropped, yeah, I was just shocked. Like, I think it was. I mean, stunning, getting but, dropped, yeah. dropping him was very impressive. Yeah. Uh, anytime Tyson Fury gets dropped, but it's heavyweight boxing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Drop anyone yeah. that, and I'm not one of the guys that thinks Ngannou won. Uh, I'm I know with a you lot, there. There's a lot uh, of MMA. Guys. Yeah, I'm with you there. I just think that it was very impressive to see a boxer not com- or an MMA guy not completely get outclassed. Which is kind of what we're used to in these things, um, and I sure. do. I think part of it is speaks to Francis as a combat sports athlete, as someone that picks things up very fast. I'm not one of those guys, though, Jose, that thinks you know Fury fell off a cliff and all this stuff, and he's slowing down. I just think he overlooked him, and I think it's pretty clear as day that he didn't train as hard as he should have, and that Francis was much more formidable than he thought. So um, I think it's great. I mean, I think it's great that it was competitive, but yeah, I'm with you. I think Fury won. Yeah, I think Fury outboxed him at the end. And Ganu's like, you know, he's in the Guinness Book of World Record for the hardest punch mm-hmm. in recorded history. So if he touches you once behind the ear, any living man is going to go down or die. Um, so I don't, I, I'm, like I said, I'm not one of those guys that think Fury won. I'm surprised that Ngannou looked as good as he did. I thought if he did drop him, Fury would just pick it up and kind of piece him apart. But even in those later rounds, France Ngannou was still in there. And it just makes, more, like, who's not going to watch Francis Gano fight Anthony Joshua? Who's not going to watch, you know, right. Francis Gano fight Deontay Wilder, Andy Ruiz, or Usyk, or any of these guys? And I know uh, Wilder and Joshua are both fighting, not each other, on December 23rd, which is whatever. But they have to, yeah, I wanted to talk contracts. to you about that. They signed the contract, so as long as nobody gets hurt and they handle business, they will fight, which is, which is about time, because... They they need to fight each other, given what's happened and where they got stopped by those iconic heavyweight champions. So that one I actually am excited. You're telling for. me, and I think Fury will be Usyk. Um, I'm I not there yet. Uh, can I say Joshua. I'm not there yet? Because like, 
And I'm not saying that it's Usyk. I'm not saying it's Fury slowing down or any of that, but we're talking outboxing. I think Usyk could do it, man. I really do. I do too. I mean, I'm just, I'm picking Fury to win that fight. I just think Fury is just a beast of a human being, like physically. And I think Joshua, like he gets outboxed. He doesn't do historically well against those short, stocky guys like like uh, Usyk and Andrew Ruiz and everything. And it's hard to punch down. I just think I I truly think Tyson Fury is just the better boxer, um, and I think he'll get it done. I think he's the best heavyweight in the world, and eventually we will get, you know, these rematches and these trilogies and this and that. Uh, I just think I think Fury becomes the first undisputed champion since uh, Lennox Lewis. Some great fights out there to be made. Uh, you know, you got Shakur Stevenson out there, Haney. They're trying to see what they can do with Davis. Uh, we haven't talked since just in, in brief, Jose, since Lomachenko got robbed versus Haney. So. <laughs> Oh, you thought I thought I thought Devin Haney won. I didn't. So I, I mean, I'm not going to say Robert like that. I'm saying that in jest. But I thought Wilma, I thought Wilma had it at least by one round. So, um, but yeah, I there's a lot of good fights out there to be made, especially in those lower divisions. And I'm excited because you know we need it, and I'm a big boxing fan, as you know. So I think we got a good uh, combat sports year coming up, which leads us into the final thing, Jose. Uh, state of wrestling because it's been quite a quite a yeah, couple man. months of returns and switching. It feels like podcasts weren't even a thing when there was you know the Monday Night Wars, but it feels like there's actual free agency now, which is kind of nice. Oh yeah, I mean the big thing with AEW when they were created was everyone was excited for options and like wrestlers having more options to like you know go out and test the market and everything, and it's been good for both sides. You know, Edge gets to go over to Raw. CM Punk comes back. Uh, or, uh, Edge goes to AEW. Yeah. CM comes back. Randy Orton comes back. I can't think, though, but I can't think of another time in my lifetime since the Monday Night Wars where WWE has been so red hot. Yeah, like, they're on the fire. They're on been, fire, dude. <laughs> has the product ever been better than it is right now? Like, <clears throat> the fact that we could get... Back to back, like at Mania night one, we could get Rollins versus Punk, and night two we could get Roman versus Cody too, or Roman versus The Rock. You know, the yeah is clicking on all cylinders. The, the I would NXT say is the only pretty unbelievable. Yeah, the only time frame I'm thinking of is like that '05 when it, when you saw that the changing of the guard when they went to Cena when it was Shawn Michaels and Kurt Angle in that epic match. You know, maybe not yeah. as depth wise, but at the top, I do think it was like the tail end of Attitude Era into in, into the new era. But yeah, you can you can't argue the depth of what they have. Two shows clicking on all cylinders. I did I did want to say one thing though, um, actually a couple things. One being, I'm, I'm kind of not where some of these people are with CM Punk. Like I respect him and what he's done, but you know, obviously some of the stuff that's come out, I haven't really been a huge fan of. I'm glad that he's back where he said home is, which is interesting given what he said about WWE the last 10 years. Right. But it's fine. It's water under the bridge. I'm not at a point, though, where I think he necessarily deserves the main event mania. And it's funny because in thinking about that argument, Jose, I was thinking about Cody. We had this conversation last year, and it's like now I'm ready for him to win the world, win the title over Roman because of the chase, because of the work he's put in. It's almost like it takes that year to really, and I agree with what they've done with what Triple H and everyone's done by building him up. I just don't think that already CM Punk debuts, hasn't really wrestled yet. I don't know what kind of miles he has there. I know the storyline with Rollins is good and all, but I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm more lukewarm than I thought I'd be that he's returned. It was a good pop in Chicago, but I don't know. I kind of want to see him in the ring to kind of see where I go with this. 
I think I agree with you, but he is not getting younger. Um, yeah. And you, I think at some point you just got to pull the trigger on <laughs> this now, rap because like in a year or so he might not be able to go. Anything. But it's like, yeah, but and, it's like you know that it, it is it's spots earned, right? I know he's a very popular figure, but it's like, did he earn the mania? He just signed it. He is popular. Right I I agree with you for yeah. most most of that. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I think mania becomes the who sells the most. Yeah. Like, not would, you have, him, would have you have him go over? I mean, that's because I love Seth Rollins. Like, I'm an unbiased, unbashful un- fan of his. And would I, I have him go? Would I have him go over Punk? I would. I. I don't think I would have him go over Rollins. No. Yeah, because then he has to defend the title. You know, it's like Cody. Okay, he wins the title. You know, he's going to be there. He's going to be defending. I know Roman's been, you know, missing a lot, but he's kind of got to that point but yeah i just that's where i'm at and then you'd also have the whole thing of like it's no women main eventing for another year in a row so yeah that's fine i don't that no, i know i i know there's just bother me because they got their they got yeah. their uh yeah. their main event i just think seth rollins has never headlined mania which mm-hmm. is crazy to me yeah and cm punk has never headlined mania which is also crazy to me yeah. both of those guys at points in their lives deserve to headline wrestlemania yeah, and I just think right now, and th- there's legitimate heat between those two, and like these mm-hmm. smart fans, they get it. I think you gotta pull the trigger right now. I think, and then if you don't, if Punk doesn't go over this year, he could very easily get into you know a chase again that carries him to SummerSlam. <laughs> he could go after Seth. He could go after Shinsuke. He could go yeah. after Roman. Yeah. The money's there. Go I also just also yeah. came back. I also just don't think he's. I think he should be a heel. I'm in the punk should be a heel standpoint, you know. I think eventually he will become a heel. I just think right now he's so popular. Yeah. That he's do it. Anything before we wrap with New Japan? I should be uh, on the lookout. They're losing some some yeah, players man, to I AEW. Yeah, I think going to get it done. All right. Obviously, Naito is the wrestler in the world, and him winning the G1 is just was such a magical moment, and I'm so glad he get, gets to do it again because I'm in the I'm in the boat where I love. I love like these these random running and pops and like anyone that attacked Naito the when he beat when he finally beat Okada at, at Wrestle Kingdom a couple of years ago, his first story, his first arc, the other person would, would undoubtedly become the most hated wrestler in that promotion, just how beloved Naito's chase was. But to have Kenta attack <laughs> Naito the day of, like he wins the titles and then like Five minutes later, gets attacked, and Kent is sitting cross-legged on top of him. That sucks. I think that was such a bad yeah. creative decision, and I hope Naito goes over, especially against Sonata, his former protege, yeah. because, because this is the, this is it for Naito. He is an old wrestler. His knees are held together by duct tape. I mean, mm. they've already introduced essentially his like uh, Yota was just was just debuted. Oh, it, he didn't debut. He did the excursion thing that New Japan does, where yeah. he like went to Mexico for a couple years and then came back and immediately joined Lij. Yeah. And he's the future. He is going to become. He's only like wow. twenty nine or thirty. He is going to take the reins from Naito and become the leader of Lij. And I. I don't think anyone would complain just yeah. because Naito has been the leader for what 10 years he can barely walk anymore he can mm-hmm. barely run anymore mm-hmm. I think he deserves to take a break and I think Yota's the guy and this might be the this I'm actually I'm not even saying might be I'm pretty confident this is mm-hmm. the last time we'll see Naito in the main wow. event and I think we should cherish it uh, wow. when we get it 
Hope he gets his moment. Uh, Jose Young, it's always a pleasure, man. Appreciate what you do coming on this show and all the outstanding coverage for MMA fighting, covering UFC, other combat sports events as well. Thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Anytime, homie. You know I always got you. All right, huge, huge thanks to Jose Young. Check out all his outstanding content at MMA Fighting, where he's covering everything there is. There's combat sports happening in the world, I know. Jose's got his ear to the ground, and he is on site. So, uh, joking about that last part, but of course, Jose is a top flight journalist. So, thanks to him for coming on the show. Now, we're going to talk football with Kent Brown, breaking down all the division races, the playoff picture, what's wrong with his Steelers, are my Browns for real, uh, can they keep going with Joe Flacco, this thing's kind of insane, are the Chiefs resurgent, the Niners dominant, lots to break down with Kent Brown and some college football playoff picks. Here he is now in the Money Mitch Effect. All right, back now on the Money Mitch Effect, inside of Christmas week, lots to discuss in the world of the NFL, some other sports as well. Uh, escape the clutches of Dr. Farthing, Kent Brown, back on the show. Kent, welcome uh, back on the podcast. Yeah, with all this college football craziness, all you can do is you come out of the back room, pull up your pants and say it's all ridiculous, and then you move on. So I feel bad for these coaches, especially these coaches. Next year, you'll have playoff games going on last weekend you'll be trying to you know deal with the portal for the next year you'll be trying to deal with transfers on your own end signing day comes up this wednesday so it is just a unmanageable calendar but that's college sports for you yeah next year is going to be crazier it's hard to believe how crazy it's already gotten but uh starting with the nfl and uh on the heels of it we're recording this on tuesday last night's game kent the seahawks stunned the eagles late again drew Locke to jackson smith and jigba a lot of DK Metcalf on that final drive, but you know, big win for the Seahawks, stopping their four-game losing streak. The Eagles now have lost three themselves, and this was a team that went to the Super Bowl last year, looked on paper better than the year before. Jalen Carter, the big pick, they have all their weapons back, and suddenly they're in this funk now. What what do you equate what's going on with Philly right now, Kent? And how bad do you think it really is? Their defense is much worse than I think a lot of people thought. The fact that Matt Patricia is calling the plays now out of nowhere. The secondary is not very good. And that was one thing. If you looked at last season, the secondary was you know, pretty opportunistic, as they say. Like they were able to force big turnovers, get a big stop, deflect a pass late in the game. The defense is just not stepping up for them this, these last three weeks. Offensively, they seem to be fine, or at least they seem to be pretty good. But defensively, mm -hmm. they look pretty weak. Uh, and, and, and when you look around the league and you look at some of the top teams, the 49ers defense has improved over the last six to seven weeks. The Dallas Cowboys defense, generally speaking, is pretty good. I guess a lot better at home than on the road. Yeah. So that will be interesting subplot is if the Cowboys and the Eagles, whoever wins that division, who can get home field for at least a round or two. Uh, and then you look at in the AFC, you start looking at the Baltimore Ravens, their defense. I thought their defense was not going to be that good this year. It's been excellent. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs, they're winning some games almost because of their defense, mm -hmm. as weird as it sounds. Your Cleveland Browns, you know, up to nine wins, and their defensive-led team, uh, no matter who's at the quarterback, you feel like you're in every game because of your defense. Yeah. And the Eagles, it's almost a liability, and it's really killing them. Yeah, and uh, that's well said. I do think the offense isn't the problem, clearly. I know Hurts was sick yesterday. They just don't. 
Like there's something a little off where they're just not finishing drives. They're just not, you know, putting the finishing touches on it. And I think you do a, you did a good job summarizing why I wouldn't say it's complete doom and gloom. The fact that the NFC doesn't really look like, I mean, the Niners are the only team and they had their three game losing streak in there, but they do look like a cut above as it stands now. Dallas would be the other team. They got blown out by the Bills. Detroit looks good, but we're still wondering about their defense. So for Philly, and just looking at the scene in the NFC, Ken, I still think you know they're right in the thick of it because there haven't been many teams outside of San Fran that have really separated themselves. Well, also, whenever you look at Philadelphia, they're basically just a little bit over one point per game in terms of overall difference. Yeah. They're plus 18 on the season. They've played 14 games. Now, to put that in perspective, the Cowboys are plus 167. The Niners are plus 191. That means yeah. they're blowing teams out. The yeah. Eagles were surviving a lot of games, and now they're losing those games yeah. they previously survived. And as you said, the NFC is pretty open outside of San Francisco and to a lesser extent the teams you just mentioned, Philadelphia, yeah. Dallas, Detroit. Tampa's starting to look a little bit better. Uh, you know, the fact that they, the winner of the NFC South will get a home playoff game that's something we've seen over the years. Even teams with bad records a lot of times mm -hmm. find a way to win those games. Mm -hmm. The Rams, to me, the Rams look like one of the best four or five teams in the I'm NFC. With, I'm with you there, yeah. And I think the schedule bodes that out. It's just funny, too. I wanted to put a bow on Philly. The Sirianni stuff, and I think he's done a great job as a coach, but we, we talked about it. It's going to wear thin when they start losing, and I think you're starting to see some cracks there. The Patricia defensive thing was just kind of out of the blue and uh, – We'll see what ends up happening with that. But, I mean, from, from the San Fran side, I mean, they, they dominate again. They beat the Cardinals. They do seem like on offense a juggernaut at this point. A lot of that is to Brock Purdy and the weapons that he has. But this offense is firing at a clip that I would say, Ken, is better clearly than any point in the Kyle Shanahan era. Like, this is the best any of his offenses have ever looked. Oh, easily. And then you look at kind of the weapons they have around Brock Purdy. You know, we've had Brock Purdy discussions going on five and a half years dating back to the, yeah. when me, you and Gothard were doing our podcast. And, uh, you know, he came right out of the gate and was very good at Iowa state as a freshman. And then it kind of year by year, it didn't seem to get a lot better, but it was never really his fault in my opinion. But you look at him right now, he's doing everything they ask of him. McCaffrey in my mind probably is the MVP of that team just because of how much of a difference maker he is, but the weapons are there. We know like Kittle seems to battle a lot of injuries, but when he's out there, he's very good. Uh -huh. And as you said, it's been the Niners defensive front the last four or five years that has been kind of what's led them to go to the NFC championship games or second round of the playoffs. This year, I think they can be in some shootouts and they'll be just fine because of those offensive weapons. And yeah, if they get the one seed, which looks very likely, there's not a team in the NFC that you would think is, is going to be probably within four or five points of them on a point spread. I think the yeah. Niners will be kind of a touchdown favorite, if not higher, in every playoff game they yeah. have as long as they're playing home games. Yeah, the Chase Young addition, too, doesn't have to be the guy. Just a piece on that defensive line that was already loaded was huge. Uh, those stunning results. And so many yeah. first-round picks, too. You yeah. look at that <laughs> defensive line. Those, those guys were all first-round picks. A lot yeah. of them were top ten picks. And you mentioned Chase Young. When in doubt, Bring in a guy like him uh -huh. that seemed to be kind of lost a little bit with Washington and have him regroup. Now he doesn't have to have any weight on his shoulders either. When when he was with Washington, yeah. it was kind of like, okay, he was a top three pick. This is going to be, is he the next 
you know, mm-hmm. J.J. Watt basically is an edge rusher, and he wasn't. But now at San Francisco, he's one of five or six guys that's expected to make a play on a passing yeah. down. And I think that has to kind of help his mentality quite a bit. The surprising result of the week has to be what Buffalo did to Dallas. Not that they won that game, Ken, but that they did it in such dominant fashion and how they did it, running the ball down their throat. I mean, put it this way, if you would have thought that was going to be the outcome, we would have thought Dallas would be the one running it straight through. But the Bills look rejuvenated. That win you know, they had in Kansas City last week did propel them. Dallas lays another egg on the road, but I'm going to give full marks to Buffalo for this one. And there's no guarantee they get into the playoffs, but you got to think if they do, they're going to be a live dog. What's funny about Buffalo is the last few years, it's been basically Josh Allen scrambling for their rushing. And then it's been just a, you know, pass first team, pass second, pass third. Yeah, if they start to incorporate their run game and that alleviates some of what, in my opinion, I don't like out of what I see with Josh Allen so much, where I I never understood why he was their leading rusher for so many games Mm -hmm. and so many seasons. The fact that you have James Cook now stepping up, you're actually trying to assert the run. That makes them scarier, in my opinion, because if this is the same Buffalo Bills team that we have seen the last three or four years where it was Josh Allen drops back, he lowers the shoulder into a linebacker or safety, and he picks up seven or eight rush yards that way, Mm -hmm. that's not a recipe to make a playoff run at all. And now if they can run the football, and now Josh Allen is a secondary runner in addition to Cook, that's a team that maybe could win a couple games in the playoffs. I still think it's a little bit unlikely. I wouldn't buy into them over a few other contenders in the AFC, but it was a heck of a nice win. Mm-hmm. And there's no doubt that on Sunday, they were by far the better team against Dallas. And that needs to be their recipe going forward. If mm-hmm. they want any chance of you know winning a divisional round game or a wild card round game, they have to establish their run. And that was the best Bills performance I've seen in a long time. Yeah, I mean, you just right have to give credit to Sean McDermott, right? He's a great pregame speaker, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully he didn't uh, incorporate any uh, national tragedies before this game. But if he did, at least this one worked. Yeah, it, it definitely worked. I mean, it's it's funny looking at like the AFC. I know we're bouncing around, but I, I agree that there are teams I like better and the Bills are a vulnerable football team, but you have Kansas City that's not at their apex, and by that meaning they're not going to—they're not a lock to get the one seed like they've been in years past. But the Ravens are the top team. The Dolphins are ten and four, Kent, but they don't have that big win. They have lost all their quote unquote big games. You know, there's other teams lurking, so that's why I think the Bull, the Bills could be dangerous. You did mention something I want to uh, touch on the Baltimore defense. I'm with you. I didn't think they were going to be as good. And for all the big name pass rushers, edge rushers, Miles Garrett, T.J. Watt, Nick Bosa, Max Crosby. I saw the Ravens are leading the league in sacks, and that stunned me. And that's probably a reflection of why they're 11-3. and three. Well, the one thing that the Ravens do that's worked out really well is they get a lot of pressure from all levels. You look at a guy like Kyle Hamilton, they can line him up mm-hmm. off the edge. They can line him up in the box as a hybrid linebacker. And then he can also play the nickel and cover tight ends, cover slot receivers. You know, you see his closing speed on some of his, you know, tackles for loss that he makes. Uh, Yes, they don't have maybe, as you said, like the one standout guy. But you look at Jadavion Clowney, he's been way more effective this year than he's been the last handful of years. Kyle Van Noy, no matter what team he's on, he always seems to perform at a high level. Uh, And then... You know, you start looking at the rest of their team. Patrick Queen, a former first-round pick, can make plays. 
as I said, they bring in, uh, I think uh, Matabuke leads them in sacks. That kind of makes sense. But he's sort of that hybrid inside rusher, almost the same way Aaron Donald plays, where nowadays in the NFL, for a long time, outside of like Warren Sapp, there just weren't many of those type of guys. Mm -hmm. Now you're seeing that in the NFL. If you can start getting pressure from inside on your defensive line, that just opens the floodgates for everything else because an offense generally used to have to protect with your tackles and your tight ends blocking those edge rushers. Now if you come right up the middle, good luck trying to stop that. Yeah, I was a cynic of the Ravens coming into the year. I kind of thought they would finish last place in that division, and I didn't think they'd be like seven wins, but I thought maybe they'd be near 500, and that would be last place in the division. Now you look at them and – the big question is going to become going into January can Lamar Jackson get them right. to that Super Bowl because he's been for the most part a playoff failure and mm. there's nothing he's doing in this regular season that makes you indicate that he should fail in the playoffs mm-hmm. especially Zay Flowers a weapon Odell Beckham you know another one of your mm. former Cleveland Browns he's playing well uh they lost Mitchell though you know, and that's saw- a that was a brutal knee injury and they've been you know, they've been ravaged with some injuries, especially in the backfield, yeah. but that's the NFL and they have a healthy quarterback, which is more than a lot of these teams could say. I think that's one of the storylines this year, right? Like how many QBs have just been hurt? Yeah, it's funny you say that because you start looking at, at the division <laughs> leaders and for the most part, all of those teams yeah. have been able to keep their quarterback healthy. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence got hurt a couple of weeks ago. Everyone thought he might be done for the year. He was back the next game. Uh, you look at Dallas. Dak Prescott's been healthy. Jared Goff, Brock Purdy, I think, missed, what, a game or two. Uh, Baker Mayfield's been healthy. And then in the AFC, as we said, Mahomes, even though they're not lighting it up offensively, he's still been out there every game. Lamar Jackson, Tua. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the odds on Tua making it healthy (laughs) in the week 16 would have been heading into the season, but he has been. And then Trevor Lawrence. So, yeah, when you look at those eight division leaders, They've been healthy at quarterback, and that really is the difference in the NFL. At the end of the day, you can win a lot of games with above-average quarterback play, but it's hard to be an elite team that's going to win three or four playoff games if you don't have that top-tier quarterback. And you're seeing it. You're starting to look at some teams. I mean, look at Mike Tomlin and the Steelers without Big Ben. Look at what the Patriots have been without Tom Brady. Those were guys that were just mainstays for 15, 20 years. Right. And there were never drop-offs. I think when you Uh, put so much on them too, right? Like, and and we can get into your Steelers now, but like when you put a lot into the QB basket, they can kind of cover up a lot of maybe other, I don't want to say deficiencies, but maybe inadequacies is a better way to put it. And then when that guy's gone and that high level isn't there, you really notice it. Because I do think Pittsburgh has some structural problems on offense, but they're just not getting it at the quarterback position and it all trickles downhill from there. Yeah, one other team I'll throw into that mix, too, is Minnesota with Kirk Cousins, I think, would probably be nine or ten wins right now. Yeah, oh, for sure. Uh, for sure. They and, win that last and game, and they win a few too, other ones, just, too. Yeah. It was a devastating loss. Even though Dobbs kind of stepped up for a couple weeks, it just hasn't been the same. And, yeah, to the Steelers, yeah, it's it's been a struggle quarterback, clearly, and it seems like they just don't have any confidence in their skill guys, even though I think a lot of their skill position players are actually pretty good. Like if you give me Pickens, Johnson, Warren, Harris, Fryermuth, those are guys that I think a lot of teams would like. And yet uh, it became to me pretty evident during that Patriots Thursday night game that Trubisky just 
isn't the answer. I think we all kind of knew that anyways. I thought Mason Rudolph should have at least been given a chance to win that game. Mm-hmm. And then last week, not having Mason Rudolph play to me was kind of a mystery that you go to, to Trubisky. And again, we're not at practices. We don't know how much mm-hmm. better Trubisky looks. But in the game, he just does not look like a guy that's capable of like making that big drive, getting that big third down. And we're seeing that they're going to go with Rudolph this week against the Bengals. The Steelers look to be out of it, but technically if they were to win out, they would be in the playoffs. Yeah. So it's one of those deals where you got to try to win the next few <laughs> games. But yeah. yeah, it's just been a disappointment in the offense. Just, I mean, they get like stopped at the two yard line and their first <laughs> and goal at the two. Yeah. And it's like, man, I don't know if they're going to get in. And that is a terrible way to, you know, call plays on offense, be a fan of a team. You know, I joke to you and, our buddy Eddie that like they're like a worse version of Iowa right now because even the defense isn't yeah. top two, top I, three right now yeah. where it needs to be. So it's mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh it's a real struggle. And when you look at that division, Jake Browning came in. He's been excellent as a backup. I know your Browns, you know, you probably wouldn't have thought Joe Flacco would play all that well. And he's been up and down. It's not just Flacco winning his games, but he's certainly been better than what Mitch right. Trubisky's been. And then again, Baltimore's been the head of the table in that division. So the Steelers right now, three weeks ago, look like, hey, they're like a win away from maybe being in the division lead. And now it's like, will they win another game the rest of the season? And the answer is probably maybe one, but probably not. They probably, I think uh, right now, the over-under of their adjusted win total would be seven or eight. Wow. What's the schedule? It's uh Seahawks, Bengals, and then what's the last? And then well, they end with the Ravens. Ravens. And the thing with the Ravens <laughs> yeah, is yeah. that Ravens might be playing for oh, a one. Seems like it. Yeah, on, yeah. Wow. Depending on how things shape well, up, I do have to say. I mean, the Flacco thing is is remarkable because yeah, I, I'm not gonna preface this with he's playing like an All Pro, but just to give them what he's given them based on him being on the couch in the offseason. It shows a lot about Stefanski's system and his ability to kind of make things smooth and make things easy for the player playing that position. I think the defense for the Browns has really stepped up. I know, obviously, that final Hail Mary could have gone either way, and it gave me a near heart attack. But, look, I mean, the Browns with that baseline defense, I'm not – I think it's just a good position for them to be in. And how good they've been at home this year, also 7-1 and one on the year. So uh, they've turned that home into a real advantage. And – you know, I know they've had, I think they have like 27% of their roster salary cap on IR or something like that. So to be in this position, given some of the failures that they've had, the injury luck has been pretty good. So I'm just, I'm riding the wave, Ken. It's a, it's a jam-packed AFC playoff picture. A 10-win team probably gets left out 10-7. and seven, So we'll see. There's still a lot to be played for. Yeah, and my uh, Miami Hurricane, David Njoku's mm-hmm. been like godsend the last and you're, month. And your, and your, uh, and, and, or, uh, JKN or sorry, JKO, excuse me, has been uh, great as well for Notre Dame for us as well in the defense. Yeah. So we've had and a that's couple one of those ones. Go. It's funny you look at and not to just make on a Notre Dame sort of slant here, but you look at Kyle Hamilton, who, you know, ran a bad 40 time. And for some reason that ended up kind of, you know, knocking him into, I think, the 14th pick or whatever it was when he was, by all accounts, like one of the best five players, 10 players in that draft. And then Jeremiah. Owusu Koromoa was the Butkus winner. You know, you watched him play. I mean, he like dominated Clemson, and that was a really good Clemson team that had a lot of future first rounders in that, you know, in, in that season. And because there was some sort of heart issue, he fell bad in the draft. And he's been 
you know, excellent from day one, basically. Yeah. And, and they're both sort of those like hybrid guys that you can do a lot with. And I think that in the NFL right now, like that's a really valuable asset that if you can kind of have a guy that's athletic enough to kind of play on multiple levels mm-hmm. and still be elite while they're lining up on the yeah. line in that second portion with the linebackers or on the back end, it's nice to see. And for, you know, and Joku, former Hurricane and JOK, former Irish guy. Yeah, it is nice to see them out there playing well, yeah. you know, even if it is the Cleveland Browns and not necessarily a team I would generally want to see do all that well. But yeah, it's going to be crazy, as you said. Imagine a 10 and 7 team not getting in. I remember a few years back, I think the Dolphins got left out at 10 and 6. The Browns were 10 and 6 year. in 2006, 2006 fall with uh, Derek Anderson. Um, they got left out, and I remember that vividly because the Colts played the Titans and the Colts benched their starters, and the Titans and won that the, game. And then in the NFC, you're going to have legitimately, <laughs> right now there's only four teams in the NFC over 500. Yeah, and that's why looking at that, you know, just kind of putting a bow on that, I do think that, you know, the Rams look like a, a, a team that could get that sixth seed. I don't know about the Vikings. The Packers can't stop anybody. Dare I say we could have two NFC South teams? Like, it's possible. <laughs> at this point, anything's possible. Yeah, it is because of the Vikings portion of it. I I like the Rams a little bit. I can see Seattle Mm -hmm. riding the ship, especially after the big win last night. And maybe Seattle just ends up kind of getting with the Rams. Mm -hmm. And maybe you get three NFC West teams. But, man, the Falcons, really, you talk about a game that just you can't lose. It was very similar to the Steelers with their back-to-back losses at home where the Steelers had – you know, the Arizona game and the New England game, and you figured absolute worst case, you're at least splitting those two and you couldn't get it done. And now for Atlanta, you go into a Carolina game where they were selling tickets for like 45 cents. Yeah, heck of a and deal. And nobody was there. <laughs> and yeah. they, couldn't, they couldn't muster up 10 points. Like you can't I, just get yeah, 10 I, points. And, that was you know, I up. wasn't the biggest fan of the Bijan Robinson pick. I kind of think – I frankly thought he was a little bit like I would have rather had Jameer Gibbs than B. John Robinson. Anyways, I thought taking a running back in the top five or top 10 is extremely risky. And you start looking at this Falcons team and Kyle Pitts, top 10, B. John Robinson, top 10, Drake London, top 10. Those are positions you really shouldn't be taking in the top 10. And instead, they could have had a lineman. They could have maybe gotten a better quarterback at one of those picks. Yeah. They could have loaded up on their front seven or maybe another corner. And instead, the Falcons, they're not a bad team. Like, if the Falcons get in the playoffs, I think they're capable of competing with almost every team in the NFC outside of San Francisco or maybe Dallas in right. Arlington. But outside, but they just they they just look to be a team that just doesn't seem to have it week to week. And it, it's always weird, like, I think I was in group text a few weeks ago where one of the friends sent a, like an early Sunday text. He goes, you know, like, who are we taking today? And one of them said, like, I'm big on Atlanta. And I said, <laughs> you know, anytime you say words. you're big on Atlanta when you're talking about the NFL, yeah. like that's how like the the movie starts or a news report starts for like a guy that ended up getting killed by his bookie. Like, <laughs> never yeah. go big on Atlanta because I, oh, I just don't man, know how you that's trust great. It. 
I'm more with Kemp around here on the Money Mitch effect. I agree with you there. In that NFC South, it does look like it's Tampa Bay. A uh, couple quick things before we get to the other uh, divisions or before we get to the games this week that I wanted to get your thoughts on. We'll see what the Dolphins are like. They've got a big one. They're a team that we, like we mentioned, has to prove themselves. And then, you know, I, I want to know your thoughts on that AFC th- South because Jacksonville kind of has had a lackluster couple weeks. The Texans and Colts are tied at eight and six. So, you know, there's still something to play for in the AFC South, Kent. And I think that's a little shocking given what the perception was of Jacksonville being head and shoulders above this division when we started the season. Yeah, there's no way I would have thought going into week 16 you'd have a you know three-way tie in terms of record in that division. It's odd because you still kind of feel like Jacksonville's the best of that bunch, but then you watch them and they they just some of these games they just seem to look like they're a you know mediocre 500 type of team at best. It's like I at their peak, I know they're better than Indy and I know they're better than this version of Houston. But some weeks, it's kind of like Gardner Minshew is proven. You know, he's certainly a guy that can go out there and win you a lot of games and keep your team competitive. And then we saw what C.J. Stroud's been able to do. I mean, even though like last week, of course, you know, he's out and they still find a way you know, to win with backup quarterbacks. But I would lean towards saying Jacksonville does find a way to win that division. But it's odd that it's even this closest late. I would have thought a few weeks ago they would be in that 10 and four range the way the dolphins are. They would almost have the division locked up at this point. And instead it's anything, but, and it looks like the Texans are like a year away from actually being like a a legit, like team you might think will Mm -hmm. win that division. The Colts, I'm kind of thinking that maybe, the Colts are over-succeeding a bit this year whenever you look at their roster and Gardner Minshew. A few things have gone right here and there yeah. uh, in terms of just kind of falling their way. But I would think the Jaguars win it. But, yeah, I'm a little bit disappointed where I thought going into the year they would have probably been one of two or maybe three teams in the AFC I would have put as, like, a favorite to get to Vegas for the Super Bowl. Right. And now heading into Week 16 – I think they look like maybe the fifth or sixth best team in the AFC at this moment. Yeah, I just keep coming back to last year, that run they went on to make the playoffs, the crazy game, and then they were in a position when Mahomes got injured in that divisional game. But did they get streaky or were they as good? I I, I had my doubts maybe more than others, so we'll see. But still, a lot of football left. Uh, And then their schedule, by the way, if they get through Tampa this Sunday, it opens up because you have Carolina at home who has nothing to play for and aren't good. And then at Tennessee to close Mm -hmm. where that's a Tennessee team that I guess they're going to play spoiler because why wouldn't you? But that's not a Tennessee team you would expect to lose to even though it is on the road. So this week's one of those ones. If the Jaguars can just bounce back, win that game, then I think they probably do find their way to close this thing out win the division and end up at 11 and six. But the way they're playing, it's almost hard to believe that they will win all three of those. Well, here we go. We got a lot to discuss. Uh, week 16, uh, the Thursday game saints Rams is an interesting one, two, seven, seven teams. Doesn't Williams. <laughs> yeah. Another Notre Dame guy. And I would say normally two, seven, seven teams playing would be an elimination game, but the loser's still very much alive in the NFC playoff race. Your Steelers are on Saturday against the Bengals bills, chargers. I don't know if the chargers win another game for quite some time. So not the best Saturday slate, I would say. Yeah, well, it's one of those ones. Steelers-Bengals is intriguing just because it is a division game. The Bengals have over-succeeded. You know, when Burrow went down, 
I think almost everybody, especially looking at where Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and Baltimore were in the standings, you would have just penciled the Bengals in for last place. And instead, the Bengals are fighting for a playoff position and in better shape than the Steelers heading into this game. Yeah, it's one that, you know, it's the final home game of the year for the Steelers. It's kind of do or die time. I thought the same was last week against the Colts was do or die. You get up 13 nothing. you figured. That could be a game mm-hmm. with their defense. If you, you know, basically yeah. spot the Steelers team 13 points, one of those being a special teams turnover, you would like your chances in that game 100 out of 100 times. And then they proceed to give up the next 30 <laughs> points and lose the game by 17. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah. I don't know what to expect in that one. But, but I do think that that is an intriguing game. Uh, Bills Chargers, you're right. That should be a spot for the Bills to just go in and dominate. I mean, the fact that it's an 11-point line, I'm always a believer of I almost always lean towards taking the underdog in, a, in the NFL if it's double digits, especially at home. But the way this Chargers team is playing, you know, without Justin Herbert now, it's just it's hard to believe that the Chargers uh, are going to be all that, you know, all that competitive. Right. But I will say this. The Chargers are one of those teams, especially now that Brandon Staley's fired. They're the hardest team or they're one of the easiest teams to read in that when they're expected to win. You always go against them. And when they're expected to lose, you always kind of go for them. So I would take the 11 points in this game. Or maybe I would do something if you want to throw in a teaser or an alternate line. Maybe buy that line up to 13 or 14. And I would feel pretty good that even if they lose, they probably don't lose by two touchdowns. Some big games on Saturday. The Browns and the uh, Texans should be a good one. We'll see if C.J. Stroud plays. Obviously, Cowboys. On Sunday, yeah. On Sunday. Sorry, yeah. Excuse me, because we got the Monday games, too. So that's a Sunday game, along with the big one that you mentioned. Jaguars-Bucks has a lot of implications, as does Cowboys-Dolphins. So some chance to prove their worth for those games and we got three christmas games which is nice you know ken i think it's good to have some football on christmas i you know i know you watch more nba than me but i do think it's good to have you know both football and basketball on yeah i do because i think with the nba even though they they do put together compelling matchups and teams that are national or have compelling stories it just doesn't really mean that much in in december i mean you probably will have I know the NBA is going to try to do their best to make sure the stars do play that day, but odds are you'll have yeah. a couple stars randomly have yeah. some sort of like knee and tooth or <laughs> hey, ankle soreness. Hey, big big but banner raising, like, big banner raising in LA yesterday. It was the talk of the town. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't believe they did that because it's one that they don't put. As far as I know, I don't think the Lakers even do like Western Conference banners nope. that they win. Let alone nope. like an NC. That was clearly one that. You know, Adam uh, Silver must have had had some talks with the buses and said, like, hey, let's yeah. let's put this up. It doesn't have to look the part of your other yeah. banners. And you can see it stands yeah. out in a bad way. Yeah. It looks pretty flimsy. Yeah. It looks like one of those things, you know, you can order online those those heritage yeah. banners that you can get that have like the championships for your team or like you know like the different logos that's almost what it looked like it looked like the lakers because if you notice the lakers put like their secondary logo on the banner it wasn't even yeah. like the lakers with the basketball it was mm-hmm. just that weird like la logo yeah. so clearly they were like last minute i wouldn't even be surprised if the nba made it for them and like handed it to them an hour before tip-off but yeah it was pretty funny yeah, it looks like something you get for winning the rec league softball on uh, Ed's Barnes-Will team. That's what I thought. Uh, anyway, uh, be that as it may, uh, you got Christmas games, Raiders and Chiefs, Giants-Eagles. It's kind of funny, Kent, the Tommy DeVito bubble appears to have burst. Funny how quick that happened. 
Yeah, I mean, there was I've I've watched quite a bit of him more than most people probably need to while he was at uh, in college, and uh, you know, he was okay, <laughs> but it was not a guy that like yeah. there was not going to be the legend like the way Gardner Minshew is one of those guys you watched him at Washington State, and if you happen to see him at ECU a little bit as well, you were like, okay, that guy's like a gamer that he goes up against like a top fifteen Oregon. And he actually like outshines Justin Herbert in that game when he plays them. There was nothing about Tommy DeVito that ever made me think like that's going to last. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a good story. He's undrafted. I think those are the expectations too. Like this was a third string guy that lucked into this opportunity and I get it. And then obviously Monday night, Kent, or it's Christmas night. It's going to be Ravens, Niners, two top teams in the respective conferences. The NFL strikes gold here. Uh, winner of this game, and I don't think the loser loses much necessarily, especially when you're thinking the Ravens going on the road. But whoever wins this game, that's that's quite the that's quite the uh, statement win in the NFL as they go into the playoffs. Well, where the Ravens are in trouble if they lose this game is the fact that they have the Dolphins the following week. Yeah, so that could be something where you, if, if you're the Ravens, the Dolphins game is way more important. I guess yeah. If the Dolphins, team. if the Dolphins beat the Cowboys though. Well, yeah, I, I see what you're saying well, because they play saying, they yeah. play next week. So even a loss, I think I think they got to handle the you know they got to handle the Dolphins regardless. I don't know that a right. win or a loss necessarily screws them in a way, but yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, but just the the yeah. fact that the one seed could be up for grabs next right. week makes it a little mm -hmm. bit tougher, so to mm -hmm. speak. But yeah. I guess in theory, even if they yeah. win, if the Dolphins were to get a win, the, the one seed's up for grabs too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's kind of wild that you can make a pretty good argument that like. If this was a college football playoff final four, we could have the four teams playing each other this weekend where it's like Dolphins against Cowboys <laughs> and Ravens against yeah. Niners. And that kind of sounds like the four best teams going right now, or at least they're four of the best six. Mm -hmm. So it is kind of cool. But yeah, like that's an awesome Christmas night game. And, uh, you know, I, I, I like the fact that, you know, we're getting that because I mean, look, I'm going to be with family on Christmas. I'm going to be in a nice, you know, state in the Sunshine State down in Florida where, like, there are, like, reasons to go out and, you know, like, you probably want to enjoy the weather. But on the other hand, it is nice to actually have, like, legitimate games that are, like, you know, the fact that the Niners and Ravens could be a Super Bowl preview and we're getting it on Christmas night is cool. It's very cool. Uh, before we wrap up with Kent Brown on the Money Mitch effect, you wanted to segue into it, the uh, college football. I know bowl season's a little different with the transfer portal and everybody opting out, it seems, but I, we're not going to do a show here until post the uh, Final Four. So how do you see the playoff going? Yeah, so I I mean, in, in terms of I, I, I can't see either team winning. Like this is definitely the first playoff that I think all four teams have a solid chance of, of winning the national title. I guess I would put Michigan and Texas as probably the two that I would say end up getting to the national championship. Uh, I'm not really as high on Jalen Milrow as I think a lot of people are. I thought he was much better later in the season, but to me, he's still the fourth best quarterback of the four starters. Uh, and I don't even really think it's close. I think the other three are much better. Mm -hmm. And you start looking at, you know, the Alabama-Michigan game, I did jump at that under immediately, and I mm -hmm. even sort of did an alternate line for that under when it oh, came yeah. out, just so, like, oh, I yeah. feel like if there's not many turnovers in that game, you're probably looking at, like, 21, 24 points 
gets you a victory. And that's a Michigan type of game. Yeah. At the end of the day, Jalen Milrow, if he plays clean the way he did against Georgia, they have a great chance to upset Michigan. And who knows by kickoff, it might be a pick em. Mm-hmm. I don't quite know where that line will end up. But this is a, I think Bama's actually a pretty good style for Michigan. Like, meaning if this was Texas, I think Texas probably beats Michigan. Ooh. Bama, I'm not so sure they will. I, I'd lean towards saying right now Michigan finds a way to, you know, squeak out a close, low-scoring okay. game against Bama. And then the Texas-Washington game is fascinating because it should be a track meet. It should be a lot of points. And the one thing about Washington is they have by far the best pass game of any team in the playoff that Texas can play. And Texas has the worst secondary of all four teams in the playoff. So I think up front, Texas will do a much better job of stopping the run than what like what Oregon did, because that's really why Oregon lost to Washington twice was they just didn't stop their run enough. And then it made Penix in that passing game pretty lethal. I think Texas will stymie the run enough to find a way to win. Mm-hmm. But it wouldn't shock me. And Penix is another guy I think I texted you about because of his injury issues. And he's had some bad injuries while he was at Indiana. Right. That NFL teams are probably going to red flag and some teams might even take him off their board for that. If he ends up going to like <laughs> a team with a nice system around place, him yeah, and yeah. potential playoffs, I think Michael Penix can be like the best rookie quarterback in the league next year. Wow. If he gets time, his arm is terrific, and he's as accurate. I mean, I he's like a six foot four Tua is kind of the way I say it. And no, he, he's a beast. You know, frankly, even a little bit more accurate than Tua. Penix is Penix is really the wild card in this entire playoff. Where it would be fun to see because I think right now, if I would have to say who I want to kind of win the playoff, I want Washington or Texas. But it would be funny if Washington somehow wins it all. And then the Pac-12 dissolves football-wise as yeah. soon as that and then last the big, Washington game ends. Yeah, but my the, hunch is Texas okay. wins, Michigan wins, and then I'll lean towards saying Texas wins the title and beats Michigan. Okay. I would. Uh, I, I think Bama's going to win that game. I like Texas and the other one. The under is a great bet. And, uh, yeah, we'll see when the Big Ten claims the Washington title. <laughs> that, that happens. It would be pretty funny. But And the Big 12 for SEC, that's one thing, too. Imagine that. If Texas wins with the Big 12. That is true. They're only a Big 12 team until that game's over. Yeah. Well, it's exciting stuff. I can't wait to see it all. Uh, Kent Brown, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining the show. And I will leave you with this parting shot. Were you one of the ones up in arms that uh, – Marc-Andre Fleury didn't play last night against the Penguins? No. I mean, it's, you know, it's one of those deals where it'd be, it'd be great if he did, but it's also just, you know, it's a regular season hockey game and teams are going to play whoever they want to play. So, no, no it's, know. Uh, you know, it's cool. Hey, look, I, he's played plenty of games in Pittsburgh in his career, and he's played plenty of games in Pittsburgh that mattered more than last night. So <laughs> I'm never going to lose sleep if, you know, I don't yeah. get to see Marc-Andre Fleury you know, in in Pittsburgh on the ice for for another game. He's uh, you know, he's the he's the all time goalie in, in Penguins history easily. Oh, for sure. Uh, Ken Brown, man, always a pleasure. Thanks for coming on the podcast, and uh, we'll be chatting football over text and uh, on this podcast again soon. Happy holidays, buddy.
That's going to do it for the final Money Mitch Effect episode of 2023. Thanks to everybody out there for listening, and thanks to Kent Brown and Jose Youngs for appearing as guests. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe, leave a rating or review on all your podcast platforms, Apple, Google, SoundCloud, wherever podcasts are found, we are there. Check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page for some exclusive content. And follow me on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21. We'll be back in 2024 to recap where we are in the NFL standing. Look forward to the college football title game. That's going to be a doozy as well. And a lot more to break down. For Kent Brown and Jose Youngs, my name is Mitch Michaels. Thank you for listening to the Money Mitch Effect. Keep enjoying sports. And have a wonderful Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.